You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to preach a few minutes uh, tonight from 2 Kings chapter number 6. And uh, again, thank you, preacher, just for letting me come and uh, be a part of this meeting. I've been looking forward to uh, not just tonight, but the entire week and getting help and uh, asking God to just give us what we need this week. And uh, I promise you, if you ask him, he'll give you what you need. Amen. And uh, if you're able to stand with us in reverence to the word of God and prayers, 2 Kings chapter number 6. This message was just on my heart this afternoon, so I feel like it'd be the Lord's will uh, to preach it. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask you tonight in Jesus' name to bless the reading of thy word. I pray, God, that you would give us liberty and vocabulary tonight and help us to say only the things that would please you. May we not say or do anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you be glorified. May your son be magnified and may the church be edified tonight. I ask, Lord, that we'd see no man save Jesus only. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, this is just one of those stories in the Bible that every time you come to it, it doesn't matter how many times you read it, It doesn't matter how many sermons you hear preached on it. It always causes you just to stop and think about it. It's a fascinating story when you think about it. Now, there's two or three reasons why I'll mention tonight that I believe this story is that way and then give you the thought that God has laid upon our heart. I believe one of the reasons this story is so captivating is because that in this story, there's a great project that's taking place. If you will notice with me in verses one through three, the Bible said that the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. And so we notice here that uh, there's a project that's fixing to take place. And what's interesting about this project is that it is first seen in the prophets. It is the sons of the prophets, these preacher boys, that they come to Elisha and they say to him that, uh, that, that things have gotten to the place that we've outgrown where we're at. There, there's no more room. You know, I'll just stop and say this. I, I love to see when God blesses a work and God blesses a ministry and you get to the place where you've just outgrown everything. Amen. I mean, I remind us it is a problem, but it's a good problem to have when you outgrow your Sunday school class or you outgrow your bus route or or you outgrow your church uh, facility. Uh, That just means that God is blessing. And so we see this project is seen in these prophets. And then secondly, we notice it is seen in a plan. Look at verse number two. They said to Elisha, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. 
And take this every man a beam and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. What I like about these prophets here, Brother Cooper, is that they weren't lazy preachers, amen? Uh, they weren't men with a plan. They, they, they had a problem, but thank God they had a plan. You know, we need some preachers that'll have some plans in these days. Uh, they will have some visions. They will have a desire to go beyond where they're at and to reach out. And these prophets come to Elisha and they said, Elisha, we've outgrown this place, but, but we got a plan and here's the plan. And they presented it uh, to the man of God. You know, if you're gonna be in the ministry, you gotta be willing to work. Can I get an amen right there? The ministry's no place for lazy preachers. It, it's no place for people that just want a paycheck or a salary. I don't care where God's called you and what God's called you to do. Uh, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a direction uh, in, the, in which you're going. And so we see this project in the prophets. We, we see it in the plan. But notice in verse number three, we, know, we see this project in this prayer. Amen. The Bible said that one said, be content, I pray thee. And go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. One of these prophets, I, I don't know who he is, I don't know his name, but one of them had enough sense to say to Elisha, now Elisha, you've given us permission to launch out. You've given us permission to go out and to do what, what we've uh, planned to do, but we don't want to go without you. We want to take the man of God with us. Amen. I'll tell you, anybody that's got any sense will always follow the leadership of the man of God. And here in this text, uh, these prophets, they didn't start out obeying Elisha when Elijah was taken up into heaven and by a whirlwind, uh, uh, they thought that they would go find it. Elijah and Elisha told them not to go, but they disobeyed like some young preachers will do sometimes. Uh, they thought they knew more than Elisha, but now they have learned their lesson. They know that if they're going to do anything and have the blessings of God, if they're going to move forward in any way, they're going to have to take the man of God with them. And this project is seen in the prayer and it's also seen in progress. Look at verse four. So the Bible said he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. There's progress being made in this project. I think this uh, particular scripture uh, is, it gets our attention because there is a, there's a great project, and then I think it gets our attention because there's also a great picture in this story. You know this story is all about one thing. It's about an ax head. It's not about Elisha. It's not about the school of the prophets. It's not about, uh, listen, making more room, but really the story centers around an ax head. You say, well, what's so big about the ax head? Well, the ax head is a great picture in this story here. You say, what do you mean? Well, the ax head starts out in verse number five. Notice the Bible said, but as one was felling a beam. Notice that this ax head starts out real firm. It's doing what it was created to do. It is, it is chopping down wood. It is doing, it is operating in its own ability. It's firm, but you don't have to go too far in the verse number five to see that this ax head goes from being firm to being fallen, amen? The Bible said that the ax head fell into the water. This ax head went from a good state, a state where it had been created, what it had been created for. It was, it was being used for what it had been made for. And then all of a sudden, now it has fallen. And it didn't just fall but it fell deep into the water. 
The Bible said that it fell into the water. It is covered, it is buried beneath the muck and the mire. It's lost without any hope whatsoever. When you think about this ax head, this ax head is not seen anymore. It is completely gone now. I see this ax head is once firm but now fallen, but I'm glad that's not the end of the story, amen? Because the ax head is going to be floating in this same passage of scripture. The Bible said in verse number six, and the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place and he cut down a stick and he cast it in thither and the Bible said the iron did swim. Now think about this head. I mean, it goes from being firm to being fallen, but now resurrection has taken place. It has come out of the muck and the mire, the pit that it was once in and it's been brought up, a miracle, a transformation has taken place. I would say, my friend, when I look at this ax head, I see me and I see you and I see every other sinner. Adam plunged us all into the depths of sin. The Bible said the wicked are like the troubled sea and we were cast deep into the muck and the mire and the waters of this world and we were fallen and we were forgotten. But thank God one day a resurrection took place and you know what happened? The Bible said Elisha cut down a tree. He's cut down a sapling and he threw it in. Had it not been for the tree, there'd been no resurrection. And thank God they sung about it a while ago. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why we're here tonight. Hallelujah. It's a great picture in this story because it ends with the ax head being found. And thank God I can stand here tonight after 35 years of being saved, I can say I once was lost. But now, right now, I'm found. Doesn't it feel good to be found? God found you in one place. He found me in another place. Uh, he didn't find us all in the same place. Uh, he found some of us in a church service. Uh, he found some of us on the backsides of nowheres. Uh, he found some of us in the trailer parks. Uh, and he found some of us in the apartment complex. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you the reason we're all here tonight. Uh, it doesn't really matter where we came from. Uh, the reason we're here is because we've been found. Amen. Uh, the reason I know you and you know me. Uh, and the reason we see what we're seeing is because one day a tree was cast into this world and man that had fallen and plunged deep into sin in the muck and mire lost without any hope. I thank God his resurrection brought about another resurrection and tonight we have been found. Hallelujah. It sure feels good in a lost world to be found. There's a great picture in this text. There's a great Project, but here's really what I want to preach on just a few minutes tonight. There's a great principle in this text. Because in verse number four, or verse number five, the Bible said, but as one, notice this one, was failing a beam, the Bible said the ax head fell into the water. And I want you to think about this young man in verse number five for just a few moments. Because this young man is doing a good work. He is doing a good job. He is serving his man of God. He is, he is in the ministry. They're making more room. Uh, things are growing. Things are, are going forward. Things really couldn't be better for Elisha and the prophets than what they are right now. And this young man is a part of that ministry. He is involved and he is laboring in verse five. But there is a problem. 
He loses his edge. I want to preach a few minutes tonight on this subject, on losing your cutting edge. You see, tonight, this young man is faced with a real problem that everybody faces in ministry from time to time. Busy, involved, doing a good thing, doing it in the right place, uh, doing it for the right reason, doing it for the right motive, doing it with the right purpose. But in the process, uh, I can see this young man as he swings back with every intention uh, to keep on doing what he has been. But all of a sudden, as he as he brings that axe head down, he loses that edge. Uh, can I tell you tonight in the ministry, if you and I are not careful, we'll lose our edge. Amen. You see, we've got to have an edge. Uh, if you're a singer tonight, when you get up to sing, don't just sing, but you gotta have an edge when you sing. This young man could have kept on swinging that handle. He could have just blended in with everybody else and probably others would have been so busy they wouldn't have even noticed. But the problem is, had he just kept swinging that handle, you know what the problem would have been? There'd have been absolutely no results, amen? And can I tell you, we're living in a time when a lot of churches are going through the motions. They're still singing the same songs, preaching has got a good outline. Uh, ministries are still going forward, but there's no cutting edge in what's taking place. Uh, there's no presence of God. Uh, there's no spirit. There's no results. Uh, hey, if you're a singer, don't just get up and sing. Uh, I'm telling you, don't just hit every note and thank God you can, but there ought to be something coming out of your heart. Uh, there ought to be an edge on that song. Uh, if you're a man of God, don't just get an outline and come uh, with information. Uh, there ought to be some unction. There ought to be some anointing. Morning. There ought to be an edge on that sermon uh, that gets a hold of somebody and does that cuts. Uh, there ought to be some results, amen. Yeah. Seen a lot of people without an edge in this day and time. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to get up and testify and thank God when people get up and testify. Not like when people get up and testify and they got an edge on their testimony. Yeah. I'm not talking about being on edge, amen. Yeah. I'm not talking about putting other people on edge. I'm talking about there's got to be something that brings a result. Uh, ain't got to be something that, that, that makes a difference. Amen. And I don't know, some people don't, probably may not even know what I'm talking about. But I'll tell you, there's a difference in someone that gives a testimony and someone that testifies. Uh, and there's, it brings a difference in the service. Amen. There's a difference in a man getting up and just preaching and giving information, but he gets plugged in. Amen. Uh, he's an edge. Uh, it brings a difference. Uh, all of us preachers are doing that while we're preaching. We're hoping, we're praying that in the midst of that sermon, God puts an edge on it. God plugs us in. I don't want to preach without an edge. I don't want to sing without an edge. I don't want to serve without an edge. I don't want to go on visitation without an edge. I mean, when you sing, when you preach, when you testify, when you serve, there needs to be an edge on what you're doing. Have you lost the edge? He lost his doing a good thing in a good place, serving a good man. He lost the edge. Three things tonight about this edge. When you lose this edge tonight, I'd say first of all, number one, when you lose your cutting edge, there must be a reaction. What I notice about this young man is that as soon as he loses his edge, there's an immediate reaction. You say, what do you mean? Well, it can be seen in his panic. Look what the Bible said in verse five. But as one was felling a beam, the ax head fell into the water. And look at this. And he cried. I mean, this old boy, when he loses that edge, it don't no more hit the water. And he goes in panic mode. Amen. 
I mean, all of a sudden, uh, he's concerned. He's worried. Uh, he knows without that edge, uh, he's out of business. Uh, nothing's going to happen. Uh, he can stand there and swing a handle all day long, uh, but he knows he's in real trouble, and he goes in panic mode uh, at the very minute. I want to tell you tonight, that's what we need. We need a reaction in our churches. Uh, I'm telling you, there was a time when people were more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They were more responsive to the, in, in, uh, the invitation and the altar call. They came to church with an ear turned toward heaven, wanting God to say something, anything to them. Those was a crowd, that was a crowd that had an edge. They were hungry for God, thirsty for God. And I know there's still people like that today, but you and I have got to be careful that we don't lose our edge. You see, that's what this meeting is about. If you've lost your edge, you need to get it back this week. You need to be so sensitive. You need to say, God, I've got to have that back in my life, amen. He goes in panic mode. You see, we don't panic anymore like we used to. Society and the world, and can I say this, even dead church religion has so desensitized us. It's rocked us to sleep. It's caused us to be apathetic, complacent if we're not careful. And we'll sit in church and, and all the while we'll just, we'll just get comfortable. Not people with an edge. Thank God I got a few there at the church. They're always sitting on the edge of their seat. And they're ready for God to do something, amen. And they come to church saying, God, what can I do? Amen. And, and when the man of God gets up to preach their own age, uh, uh, they're ready to sick him on because they want God to move. Uh, hey, we need that once again, don't we? Hey, man of God, when's the last time you went to the pulpit with a real burden, a real burning in your heart, a real desire? You say, but preacher, you don't know what I've been going through. No, but I tell you, it ought to send you in panic mode uh, at the very moment uh, that you lose that edge in your preaching. Uh, uh, listen, there was a reaction and there must be a reaction seen in his panic it's also seen in his preacher look at verse number five the bible said he cried and he said alas master i'm gonna tell you something about this old boy when he lost his edge he knew who to go to he said if i'm going to get my edge back i gotta go see the preacher I mean, if you study those sons of the prophets, they never really did anything for God much, if anything. They probably were more headache to Elisha than a help if we just be truthful about it. But this old boy realizes that if I'm going to get my edge back, they, I don't know, if, the, I don't know if, the, if, if, the, if my colleagues can help me, but, but he said, I do know there's one man in the midst. Uh, he knows about the edge, and, and he knows what to do when you lose that edge. Uh, and it's this man of God. It's his preacher. I want to say tonight, I thank God for my preacher. I thank God for men that God has put in my path, uh, men that have blazed a trail, men that have encouraged and equipped us uh, and helped us along life's way. Uh, they've helped us keep that edge in our life, amen. Seen in his panic, it's seen in his preacher, and then notice this, it's seen in his perspective. Notice what he said in verse five. He said, for it was borrowed. Hear me tonight. This old boy knew this. He reacted so swiftly when he lost it because here's what he knew. It wasn't his to keep. What he had wasn't his to keep. 
Or you think about your church, you think about your ministry, you think about where God's put you, you think about what we've enjoyed, the place that you worship. Hey, it's wonderful. And you say, oh, but it's been here for years and and it's so solid and it's so great and that's good, but I'm gonna tell you something, it can be gone in a day. We've all drove by the places, haven't we? That used to be that are no more. And I'm gonna tell you where it all started. It started when people lost their edge. It started when the congregation cooled down. It started when they got used to the atmosphere, used to the singing. I don't know where you're at tonight, but I would say this, we have to constantly keep the perspective. I think about the church where I'm pastor this May, will be 25 years, but I'm reminded today as I have been down through the years that it's not my pulpit and it's not my people and it's not my church. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't have my brand on it. It belongs to him. It's his church, it's his people. And God didn't call me to, Uh, to fill a church. He called me to fill a pulpit and to preach the word of God. Uh, And listen, we're just walking in somebody else's shoes. Uh, Somebody came before us uh, and somebody's going to come behind us. Uh, I tell you, but what I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose that edge, thank God. Uh, I tell you, I want to die on a battlefield, don't you? Uh, I want to die with glory down in my soul. Hallelujah. I want to die faithful in the fight. Uh, I want to die, thank God, still preaching. I want to die still serving. Uh, I want to I thank God uh, with joy uh, and with strength. Uh, I want to die with some fervency. Uh, I want to leave this world uh, with an edge for the honor and the glory of God. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, there's a lot of preachers today, listen, they wouldn't know the presence of God if it, I mean, if it sat right down in front of them. Am I telling it right? You got to get that edge. There's no substitute for Bible study. But there's also no substitute for the prayer closet. And as sure as studying the word of God will help you, praying will sharpen you. It'll bring to light what you have studied. It'll quicken the conscience. It'll burn. I tell you, sometimes uh, the prayer closet may be a battlefield, uh, but you go ahead and fight the battle in your mind and in your spirit because I'll tell you, when you get up to preach, uh, when you get up to do something for God, uh, I'll tell you what you spend along with God uh, will burn deep in the recesses of your soul uh, and it'll put an edge on what you have to say. It puts some weight behind that preaching. Uh, You know why? Uh, Because it's God uh, that does it. What we have tonight it's not something we can turn off and on. It's not something that we can push with a button. I'm telling you, it's here today, but it can be gone tomorrow. And we've got to be sensitive and we've got to be thirsty and we've got to be hungry all the days of our life. You gotta keep that edge. You gotta keep that edge. There must be a reaction. If you're not say, preacher, I've lost it. There must be a reaction. Secondly, there must be a recovery. You know what I like about this story? This old boy's gonna get his edge back. He lost it, but you already know the end of the story. He's gonna get it back. And when I think about him getting it back, I notice what getting it back involves. Again, I don't mean to be repetitive, but it's in the text, so I have to repeat it. It involves this preacher again. Look at verse number six. Notice the first phrase. And the man of God said, this boy goes to the preacher and he said, alas, master, he says to him, he said, uh, he said I've lost my axe head. And he said, it was borrowed. And Elisha says something to him. 
getting his edge back, the recovery was all about what the preacher had to say. You know where people get in trouble is when they stop listening to the man of God. Get used to the mannerism, get used to the delivery, get used to the cliches in all of our churches. Uh, and preacher, if we're not careful, we can be just as guilty. We get used to them, we get used to the atmosphere, we get used to their personality. I'm gonna tell you something, uh, if you're gonna get your edge back, you're gonna have to tune in to what your preacher says. Uh, look beyond the exterior and listen to the voice of God, amen. Remember when you first got saved, how you went to church uh, and your ear was turned toward heaven and you just wanted God to speak to you. This recovery involved his preacher. It involved a place. Notice what Elisha says to him. He said, where fell it? And the Bible said he showed him the place. You hear this tonight and you say, preacher, I'll be honest with you. I've lost my edge. I love God. I'm serving God. I'm trying to be faithful where God has put me. But I'll just be honest. I've come in here running on two cylinders tonight uh, and I've lost my edge and, and I know that. And I want to get it back, but I don't know how to get it back. I'm going to tell you how to get it back. Just go back to the place you lost it. Right now in your mind, go back to the place where you lost it, because that's where you're gonna find it. You see, if there's somebody here tonight that quit going to Sunday school, you ought to come to the altar and say, Lord, forgive me for not attending Sunday school. But that's not gonna be good enough. You know what, when Sunday morning rolls around, here's what you gotta do to get your edge back. You gotta get up early, you gotta get ready, and you gotta go to Sunday school. Is that right? If you, lost, uh, if you lost your edge uh, because you quit singing in the choir, then Sunday, you gotta get back in the choir. That's where you lost it at. Where did it, where fell it? Where, where's the place at? If you lost it because you quit reading your Bible, then go to the motel, go to your place tonight, uh, open the pages of God's word and make a commitment to God that tonight I'm gonna start reading God's word every night. If you lost it because you quit praying, then find your prayer closet. Go back to the place. Uh, I promise you tonight, where you lost it is where it's at. It's not that hard to get right with God. If we'll just think about it tonight. It's not that hard to get your edge back tonight. If you'll just think about it. Where did you lose that edge? Well, I, well, I lost it when I, when I lost this family and I went through this tragedy. Then listen, you gotta go back to that place and you gotta make things right. You gotta get rid of that bitterness. You gotta go back and, and do whatever it takes uh, to make restitution. You say, but you can't restore anything with them. It doesn't really matter. It's not about them, it's about you. But you gotta go back to the place. If you wanna recover it, then it involved a price. The Bible said in verse number six that he cut down a stick. You know, it's interesting here because this stick represents Calvary. This stick had to lose its life in order for the iron to swim. And you and I tonight, iron's a picture of judgment. And then tonight, in order for you and I to get our edge back, listen, there's a cross that Christ bore, there's a cross for him, but there's a cross for me and there's a cross for you tonight. Paul said in Galatians chapter six, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hey, we have to crucify the flesh, don't we? 
We have to reckon ourselves dead. We have to die to self. You say, preacher, I want my edge back. Then you gotta, you've got to die. There's a price to be paid. Hey, we can have revival in 2023. The God of the Bible is still the God of revival, amen? America can still have revival tonight. You say, but she's not mentioned in the last days. Well, I understand that, but we don't know how many days there's left. I, I believe Jesus could come at any moment, amen? But I'm to serve and you're to serve and we're to occupy until he comes. And that means we don't lose hope on this nation. That means we don't roll over and give in. I'm gonna tell you the hope tonight for this country as it's already been said, it's not in the White House. It's in the church house. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of this world tonight. I'm telling you, my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God said, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal their land. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Who can tell what God would do if we'd fall on our face, get our edge back, get out of our comfort zone and say, dear God, we lift our eyes unto the hills from whence cometh our help. Hallelujah. He can do it tonight. You believe God can send revival? You believe God can sweep across this nation like he did in days of old in the midst of, you say there's so much wickedness. There's always been wickedness. I'm telling you, go home and read the book of Acts. I'm telling you, the harder the devil tried, the more they scattered and the more the fires of revival burned. The Roman Empire couldn't stop revival. I'm telling you, the religious Jews couldn't stop revival. I'm telling you, God still cares about this nation and there's still enough people in this country that have fallen their face a God could still send revival, amen. I'm gonna tell you why we're not having revival. Very simple tonight. Why our churches are in so much trouble. Because people don't wanna pay the price to have revival. So I can't change my church. No, you can't. You can't change your church. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can get on your face and say, God, will you change me? Amen. And if you're willing to let God change you, you're the hope pastor of your church. I know it's God, but you're the hope tonight of your church. You gotta go to the pulpit and preach, whether it's amen or oh me, whether it's a house full or a handful. I remember preaching in a little country church back home a few years ago, they didn't want anything. I mean, it was, I'm just gonna be honest. I'm not, I'm not being critical, I'm just being honest. It was so dead. It was about an hour drive. And it was going down, it was so dead that I even told my wife, I said, you don't have to come. <laughs> it was so dead, she looked at me and she said, okay, thank you. <laughs> so I'm driving down there to this church every night and, and Brother Hudson, honestly, it's just me and God in the car. And I mean, I'm just belly aching. I'm like, God, these people don't want nothing. I mean, they just, they, they don't want, I mean, a little mountain church and I love mountain churches, amen. Grew up around them and in them. But they just didn't want anything and there wasn't anything there. And I'm going down the road Monday and I'm belly aching. I'm going down the road Tuesday, belly aching. And I'm saying, God, this is just a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time. This church is so dead. And God had had enough by Wednesday night. We started down that road and it start, I started, I was, you know, we do, it under the, we do it under the disguise of praying. You know, I, I was talking to God, but I, 
I started the least bit, Brother Cooper, and I'm telling you, God just shut me down. He said, hey, son, you remember when I called you to preach? Remember the first crowds you preached to for three years? A little two-story jail, Murray County. Since you up there every Monday night and preached in that jail. And you was just thrilled to preach to those people. They turned their, they turned their televisions wide open and scream and yell and cuss, and I was having time in my life preaching to them. I only had three sermons, held the judgment of God and death. And every time I'd get to the fourth week, I'd just turn it back around. Hell, judgment of God and death. He said, you remember that? Because you love the Word. It's about my Word. It's about the fire that was down in your bones. He said, won't you quit whining and why don't you go back and why don't you just get up and preach tonight because you love the Word of God. Preach for the amens. Don't preach for the applause. Don't preach for the results and the invitation. Just preach because you love me. I'll tell you what it did. It, it put an edge. Went back to that. You say, well, well I bet something great. No, nothing happened that night. Same old dead church. Same old dead crowd. But something happened in here. Boy, I'm going to tell you, I got, I mean, I, it, I, God flooded my soul that night. And the next night. And I'm telling you tonight, that's what it's all about. You want, your fire doesn't depend on results. Uh, I'm telling you, fire doesn't depend on, on what people say. We don't preach for the applause of men. We don't preach for recognition. We don't preach for popularity. We don't preach, uh, uh, my friend, for money. I'll tell you what we preach for. You say we preach for the souls of men. Yes, we do. But something even more than the souls of men. We preach for the glory and the honor of the God who called us to preach uh, the supremacy of God in our preaching, my friend, is that he would be glorified, that he would be magnified if he gets the glory. You may not see me and I hope you don't, but if you walk out of here and you've seen him, it's been worth the trip. It's been worth every mile. I say bless his name. I say glory to God. It'll still work if you get your edge back. It's got to be a recovery. It involves a price. It involves power. Look at this. In verse number six, he cast that stick in and the Bible said the iron did swim. There, there's a miracle right there when that iron swim. God defied the laws of nature when he brought that ax head up. And tonight we need a miracle, don't we? And I'll tell you the greatest miracle I think I've ever seen in my lifetime is the miracle of preaching. When God takes an old sinner and saves him, puts his hand on him and calls him to preach, brings him out of a world of death and darkness and danger, and then qualifies him and equips him and sends him right back into the same hell he brought him out of. But he's not going back in the same way he came out. He's going back in with a mandate. He's going back in with an ax head. 
and he's going back to rescue someone else because somebody came and rescued him and brought him out of that world and now he's going back into that world and through the power of preaching, God takes just an old earthen vessel, just an old lump of clay and he fills him with his word and he fills him with his spirit and the word of God goes forth like a hammer and reaches the souls of men and brings them out of darkness into the glorious light. I'm telling you the greatest miracle, it takes place every single Sunday, every single Sunday night, every single Wednesday night when there's preaching, amen. And I'll say thank God for preaching. Man of God, go to your church and I mean preach thy house down Sunday, amen. You preach till they look at you like what happened to you, where you've been and what you've done. You get about 10 acres of glory down in your soul. You take that King James Bible and you preach like a dying man to dying people. It'll set this nation aright again, hallelujah. You gotta get it back tonight. Don't you wait till Tuesday and Wednesday. You get your edge tonight and you let God sharpen it. The rest of this week, I wanna say finally in closing, there must be a reaction, there must be recovery. But look at verse seven. There must be a reaching out. I love verse seven because here's what Elisha does. He gives him these instructions. He said, take it up to thee. And notice the individual, the Bible says, and he put out his hand. And he took it. I'm going to tell you something. This is what I love about verse 7. He goes and gets the man of God, Elisha. He throws that sapling in. And that iron comes to the top. And that old boy standing there on the banks of that river. And there's a miracle right in front of his eyes. But I'm going to tell you something. He could have run up down that bank. He could have said, hey, Brother Cooper, I want you to come over here and see. What's, look what happened. I want you to notice this. Come, come. But by the time he got here, you know what happened? Passed him by. Floated on down that river. It was in arm's reach. But he had the responsibility. He had to reach out and take hold of it. I'm going to tell you, you can come to a great meeting like this. Well, they sung that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. I mean, did you feel God? How many of y'all felt God on that? I'm talking about, it got holy in here. He got to singing that song in a great atmosphere. But you can sit in a great atmosphere every Sunday. You can sit in a meeting like this right here and not get your edge. In fact, a miracle can be right here before your eyes, but you got to reach out and take hold of it. Now, I don't, I don't want to say this tonight to get you to the altar. In fact, I want to say this. I don't want you to come to the altar unless you really feel led of the Lord. I mean that tonight. And I say it for this reason. I'm not saying this to get a big altar call. But isn't it, isn't it sad in our day that church members almost act as if they're afraid, as much afraid of this altar as sinners? I got saved on a on a Sunday morning, a little storefront church here in Chatsworth. Preacher preached on hell one Sunday, and he came back the next Sunday and said, I know I preached on hell last Sunday, but I'm going to preach on hell again this Sunday. And I've been under conviction all week. And I got saved. 
And then I got, I got baptized. And I didn't understand. I didn't know anything about church, really. But I remember right after I got saved, something happened to me that never had happened before I got saved. I went back to church that Sunday night. Boy, I felt so good. God had changed my life. But when I came back that Sunday night, the preacher, he preached on long hair. And I had long hair. I felt like he was preaching to me. So I went down to the altar. I didn't know better. I didn't know Baptists could get mad at the preacher back then. I thought he's the, I just got saved. I thought he's the man of God. You better not get mad at him. God may do something really bad to you. I didn't even know a verse of scripture. I think he preached out of that verse that night, but I was so overwhelmed that it was wrong to have long hair and be a man, and it's still wrong to have long hair and be a man. I didn't get mad. I felt so good about being saved. How could you get mad? And so I went to the altar and I said, God, I'm sorry for, and I'll get a haircut. And I got a haircut and I thought preacher would be happy. I come in Wednesday night. He said, you didn't do a good job on that. You need another one. So I got this, amen. <laughs> I went back another service and, and he preached on dipping. And I had a can of Copenhagen in my back pocket and I thought, Y'all know that snuff, that's chewing. You know, you got, we won't even go into it. Okay. But he got to preaching on it, you know. I got personal. I mean, he started, and he was preaching on dipping, and I, and I remember we went on visitation that week, and, and I had that in my back pocket, and he said, what's in your back pocket? I said, and I, I reached out and gave it to him. He rolled the window down and threw it out. Well, Hudson, I said, dumb, I thought he wanted to dip. I mean, you know. If it had been today in the average preacher, he probably would have. <laughs> he said, well, you can't talk to people about Jesus with that stuff in your mouth. And he preached on it. And so I went to the altar and I said, God, I'm sorry. You're going to have to really help me with this one. <laughs> and then I went back and, and, he, and he preached on something else and something else. And I remember sitting in a service one day, and Brother Cooper, I thought to myself, when is he going to quit preaching on things? that I don't have to go to the altar for no more. When am I, and I'm sincere. I thought, when am I going to get to the place I never have to go to the altar anymore? I saw other Baptists that got to that place. <laughs> but when am I going to get there? And here's what I found out. Repentance don't end when you get saved. It just begins. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to keep your edge, you're going to have to repent. If I'm going to keep my edge... I'm going to tell you, and I'm not saying it to get you to the altar. I want you to just mind the Holy Spirit as they get us a song ready, but I do want to say this. When the church stayed in the spirit of revival, it's when people rode the altars. They built rock altars. They had cottage prayer meetings. People wanted God in this country. Preachers used to fill the front rows. They didn't have to be the one preaching. They filled the front rows, hungry for God to move. You know why? Because they had an edge. They weren't worried about who was popular. They weren't worried about who was. They weren't looking for nobody in a church service but Jesus. And God help us tonight in this country. I'm telling you, there's enough men of God in this room tonight. 
God gave us our heads back, he could turn this nation up. They ain't a politician on this earth. They ain't the, the powers of hell couldn't stop the power that could flow from our pulpit Sunday. You get an edge. It's, not, it's never been about where you pastor. It's never been about who you pastor. It's never been about, if you're waiting for a great ministry to catapult your preaching, it's, it's too late. It's never been about that. It's about walking in any place and every place and opening that old book right there and something burning down in your soul. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.